0: see how you guys are doing this morning. Good morning. Yeah, they're better. They're better. Coffee's getting through the veins. The blood's starting to kick and flow. Well, good. Hey, um, go ahead and uh, if you have your Bible, we're turning to the book of Mark this morning. If you need a Bible this morning, there should be a Bible on the chairs in front of you. If you're using one of those, you're going to go to page 1148. Page 1148. And as you're, uh, as you're turning there, uh, another, no, another episode of pastoral confessions here. Uh, so, real pastoral confessions. That, that sounds a little better. Real pastoral confessions. Uh, would you believe me if I told you that there are times where I struggle with, um, you know, looking spiritual on the outside, but maybe not, not my insides matching that? I think I've, I've said that to you before, right? Where there, there are days where I, I just don't feel spiritual, where really I'm struggling with things on the inside or struggling with, with some area of my life. But because of all the pressure... And for me, particularly as a pastor, that pressure is heightened where I feel like I've got to put on a show, maybe for you, maybe for someone else, where I've got to look spiritual. I've got to look mature. I've got to look like I've got it all together, that I'm actually not struggling. I, I have those days, and so on days like that, the temptation for me is to get into that. The temptation for me is to uh, put on a front on the outside, to put on a facade, if you will, and make it look like I'm doing a lot better than I am. Or if I, if I run into you, maybe I'm going to Walmart and I run into you, I've got my answers already pre-prepared. And so if you ask me, you know, how was your weekend? I'm, I might be prepared to tell you something like, you know, family's doing great. And, you know, we spent all day Saturday having a family retreat where I took all three of my little girls and my wife and I, we sat down and we had personal devotions with them all day long. And the way we went about that was we started by singing the hymns together, but only the classics, because that's how we roll. And, and you know, it just we were just really great and then we ended our time in prayer together. I mean, I'm exaggerating, I probably wouldn't tell you that, but the pressure is there for me to make it look like I've got it a lot more together than I do. Or I'm a lot more spiritually mature than I am. But the pressure is there for me to make my outside look different from what my inside is. And before you start to, to, to question, well, uh, has he ever lied to me about how he's doing? Or, or, or any, yes, I probably have. You know, I mean, it, It's just every one of us in any given day, we're going to go through that. But that's a struggle that we all deal with. When our insides uh, we know aren't lining up, when our insides, they, they're not really that good looking. But, man, we'd rather hide that and give in to the pressure of letting someone know, no, I'm not doing too well. No, um, you know, uh, I'm struggling with this area. And so what we do is we emphasize the outward behavior, religious compliance, if you will, but our heart, meanwhile, is not anywhere close to loving the Lord. And so that's what we're looking at this morning. And, and, and Jesus is going to deal with this issue. And, and here's what we're going to find. Jesus is going to address this very thing. And he's going to say, you know, when it, when it comes down to it, love is weightier than religious compliance. That you love carries more weight than you just complying with certain religious standards. And so we're going to take a look at that. And so we're going to be in Mark chapter 12, verse 28, and we're going to read through 37, and then we'll, we'll come back and see where does Jesus say this. So Mark 12, 28 to 37. Now one of the experts in the law came and heard them debating. Now this is a scribe, an expert in the law is a scribe. When he saw that Jesus answered them well, he asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Listen, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is, Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The expert in the law said to him. That is true. Teacher, you are right to say that that he is one and there is no one else besides him. And to love him with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered thoughtfully, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Then no one dared to question him. While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he said, how is it that the experts in the law say that the Christ is David's son. David himself, by the Holy Spirit, said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David himself calls him Lord, how can he be his son? And the large crowd would listen to him with delight. And so what I want to do this morning is really kind of hone in on, on, on some of those first few verses that we looked at. Looked at. Uh, we're starting with verse 28. So if you'll take a look with me back at 28. We've got this expert in the law, a scribe. Right, this is a guy who has been formally trained. He has uh, studied the Old Testament scriptures. He spends a lot of time translating the Old Testament scriptures, explaining the Old Testament scriptures to to people when they come on the synagogue. Uh, if you have a question about your Old Testament, in or, or, that day you would go and you'd find a scribe, but oh, what does this scribe say what does that scribe say? So uh, the scribes, of course, are listening very intently to what Jesus said. You know, a lot of them are turning in and going, is he saying things that line up with what we know is in the Old Testament Scripture. And so he's kind of listening in on this previous debate, and he he kind of listens in and he realizes Jesus just handled himself very well in that last situation. So Jesus, now I've got a question, because all of a sudden this guy has a great amount of respect for Jesus. And here's the question he asks. Hey, Jesus, when it comes to the commandments, which one's the most important of all? Now, this was not an uncommon question, In fact, there was a lot of debate. Now, now you've got to understand this. In the Old Testament, you know, we think commandments, we usually think ten. Think 613 commandments. When you go through the Old Testament law, you find at least 613 commandments. All of them from the mouth of God. All of them important. And so you can imagine trying to live, uh, trying to balance out these 613 commandments. At some point, there was an attempt to categorize these components here. And, And so what scribes and different teachers would do is they would figure out a way to sum up all of those commandments. Or they would start to put some above the others. And so the question, which commandment is the most important, was a common question. Because what he's asking is, Jesus, out of all of the 613, which one would you place at the top? Like how would you how would you categorize them? How would you sum that all up? That's his question. And in verse 29, he says this, just as Jesus' answer. The most important, the most important is listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, now he starts there, and he's actually quoting the verse that this scribe would have immediately known. In fact, the most common person in Israel, as soon as Jesus says, Listen, Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. They would have immediately recognized that. We know it as the Shema. It's from Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, verses 4 and 4. And this is where uh, Moses was teaching the Old Testament people, the Israelites, as they are preparing to go into the land, you need to listen to God. But he started out by saying this. Listen, O Israel, or depending on your translation, hear, O Israel. The Lord your God, the Lord is one. And when he said The Lord is one. It can be taken either either one of two ways. One, it can be he's one, as in he's one single God, as, a, as opposed to a multiplicity or a plurality of God. A God is, is not multiple gods, he's one God. Or it could mean he is God alone. As in there is no other God besides this God, he is the most powerful God there is. And so Jesus starts there. Here's the most important, he says, Listen, Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. But then he goes on, and he says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. He says, you know, the most important, listen Israel, the Lord your God is one, so love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And again, he's really quoting from uh, Deuteronomy. And so this, this scribe would have known and recognized this verse. In fact, he would have known it and recognized it as one of the most Popular verses, he he would have had grown up hearing, and Jesus says this is the most important. So he doesn't start with sacrifices. He doesn't start with guilt offerings. He doesn't start with you know thou shalt not commit murder or thou shalt not lie or commit adultery. He says love. That's the most important. Love, love, God. Now we've we've just seen that that, that he told Jesus told the scribe uh, the Lord your God is one. He's Lord alone. He alone is God. There's no one like him. He's undivided. He is not multiple gods. He's one God. And so he says, love God in an undivided way. With all of your being. Right? That's the gist of this this verse here. It's to love God with all that you are. All of your heart. All of your soul. All of your mind. All of your strength. And and more more than Jesus just kind of emphasizing the different components that we love God with. What he's trying to communicate is... All of yourself should be involved in loving God. You should not be divided in the way that you love God. That is, your mind should not be loving God while your emotions and your heart are not loving God. Your soul should not be loving God while your mind is checked out. Right? They all must go together. You have to love God with all of your being. But he goes on and he says, but there's a second one that I put up there. He says, and that's this. The second is, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, there's no greater commandment than these. So Jesus, what's the most important commandment? You know, and, and maybe, maybe the scribe is looking for a list, you know. Maybe he's thinking of some of the Ten Commandments, that he's particularly good at upholding, and, and hoping that Jesus puts those at the top, because if he does, after all, what do we get to do? Well, i got that. I've got it down. But instead, Jesus says, no, the most important thing out of all the Old Testament commandments that you will find, the most important is love. Love God, and then love people. Love your neighbor. And now, 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 this neighbor thing, let's take a look at this, because this is something that Jesus taught, and some of his disciples picked up on it, and so it kind of shows back up in, in some of the other letters that we have, like 1 John. So John, uh, one of the inner circle of Jesus, picks up that Jesus was emphasizing love. And so as he's writing to a church kind of later in life, kind of toward the end of that first century, he talks about the connection between loving God and loving people and how they must not be divided. So First John 2, 9-11, John says this to the people he's writing to. He says, the one who says he is in the light but still hates his fellow Christian is still in darkness. Can you see that? You can't say that you're in the light, that you follow Christ, but she you hates your fellow believer, your fellow Christian. You're still in darkness, he says. It doesn't, it doesn't go together. Verse 11. But the one who hates his fellow Christian is in the darkness. Walks in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness blinds him. Blind. You see, John got that. John got the connection because what Jesus was doing when he says the greatest commandment is love God with all of your being and love your neighbor as yourself. What Jesus is doing that has never been done is he's tying those two together. In order to love God, you must also love your neighbor. And if you don't love your neighbor, then you're not loving God. They, they, they have to go together. In fact, one flows out of the other. If you are loving God, truly loving Him, then you should love your neighbor. Because as you love God, your heart should reflect the heart of God, which is a love for people. All right? And so now as we listen to that, we're like, well, I can do that. You know, there's, there's a circle of people that I love, that I, that I really spend time, uh, you know, showing my love to, that I care for them when they're sick. You know, I, I can tolerate them a lot easier than these other people. And so really, we've got we've to now ask, what does love your neighbor mean? Who's my neighbor? Right? I mean, we, we see John say, love other Christians. John says, hey, if you don't love other Christians, then you're in darkness. You don't love God properly. We're like, okay, well, I can handle that. Love other Christians. Except that... Jesus told us what a neighbor is. And so in Luke chapter 10, verses 29 through 37, and we're going to just read a, a small section of that, we have another expert in the law, possibly the same guy, comes up to Jesus and asks him this question. And Jesus says, you've got to love your neighbor as yourself. And now, Luke, what Luke tells us, that Mark doesn't tell us, is that Jesus you now clarifies. Because the question comes up, uh, well, who is my neighbor? Well, that's a good question. Jesus is exactly who are you calling me to love? Now, I can love God, but, but who's my neighbor? Who are you telling me I have to love? And so Jesus, and this is where he goes into that story. If you grew up around a church, uh, you've heard the Good Samaritan story. That's where he goes into this, and he tells the story of, of a Samaritan. A Samaritan would have been a half-breed, if you will, half-Jew, half-Gentile. Half right? And they were a result of illegitimate marriages. Right? They, they, they were hated. They were despised. In fact, the Jew hated so much the Samaritans. Most Jews would not even walk through their area of town, their area of Israel. They would, they would add hours onto their trip just to go around this area so that they wouldn't collect dust that the Samaritans walked on. That's how despised the they were. And so there's this guy. He's traveling on a road. Jesus tells story. He gets beaten and robbed by thugs, and then he's left there to die. And so three people come along the road, right? You've got a priest coming along the road. You've got got a a scribe coming along the road. People who would know God, who were supposed to represent God, who were supposed to love God, who would know his Old Testament teachings. They come along, and both of them sidestep this guy. And then they keep going on their way. Because after all, he might be a dead body. You touch a dead body, you become ceremonial unclean. They didn't want to be that way. But the third person in Jesus' story, and really the point that he makes is that there's this third guy, the Samaritan. Now, as Jesus tells that story, everyone in the crowd, if they didn't make some kind of verbal noise, you would have seen it on their face. <sighs> maybe some of them popped up a big aluminum, spit it out, just to show their spite for the Samaritans. You mean Jesus is going to talk about Samaritans? Samaritan? Surely he's not going to do anything good. It. But it's the Samaritan who is the hero in Jesus' It's the Samaritan who takes the guy, puts him on the back of his donkey, takes him into town, pays for his care, and says, I'll be back for him. Do whatever you need to do. And so Jesus wraps up the story now, and we look at, at verse 36. Which of these three do you think became a neighbor to the man, Jesus asks, who fell into the hands of the robbers? 37. The scribe gets it. He understands. He says, the expert in religious law said, the one who showed mercy on it. That's the answer. Jesus, who's my neighbor? Everyone is your neighbor. You mean, Jesus, I'm not supposed to just love Christians? No. I have to love people who I despise as well. I have to love people who are different than me, people who have made choices that I don't agree with, people whose backgrounds are different than me, people whose families I despise. You mean, Jesus, I have to love them? Yeah, that's what loving your neighbor is all about. That all of a sudden becomes a lot harder. You see, Jesus is saying, loving God with all of your being should flow into loving people. All types of people. Not just the ones you like. Not just the ones who love you back. All of a sudden now, we start to realize that the commandment that Jesus has just elevated is actually a lot harder to follow than any other commandment. Jesus, can't you just say, don't commit adultery? I can do that i can be faithful to my wife, or at least appear to be. Jesus, don't, couldn't you just say, don't lie? Because I can really work on that. Can, can, couldn't you just say, don't murder? I mean, I'm never going to murder. It's not in me. Now, Jesus says, now the first is this, love. Love God. love people. That's probably the hardest thing that Jesus teaches us to do. Most of us don't do it well. Most of us struggle with it day in and day out. Or, we think we're doing well at it because we've let ourselves to believe that we've done it right. So let's, let's keep looking. Back at Mark now. So so the scribe, hearing Jesus say this, he's he's kind of nodding his head as Jesus is teaching this. And the scribe comes along and he says, uh, yeah, that's true, teacher. I mean, this is the first time this is a big deal. A scribe, a religious leader in Israel is agreeing with Jesus. Where he's affirming Jesus' answer. At least that we have in the scriptures, you don't see that very often. It's a big deal. You say, yeah, Jesus, you got that right. You know, it's true. He's starting to validate Jesus. Teacher, you are right to say that that he is one and there is no one else besides him. And to love him with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifice. And there is the kicker. That's the shocking statement in these verses. That the scribe. A scribe who's an expert in the Old Testament law. A scribe who was zealous for the sacrifices. These were the guys who were teaching you, you send in what what kind of way? Okay, you send in that way. Uh, Here's what Leviticus says you need to bring. These guys knew it in and out. These guys exalted the sacrifices. I mean, if you could just go and get your sacrifice right, you're doing good. But here the scribe says, you know, Jesus, you got it right. Loving God and loving my neighbor." is more important than burnt offerings and sacrifices. It's more important that I love than that I follow through with religious compliance. That's what the scribe is realizing. That that I could be giving my sacrifices all day long, nailing it 100%, getting the sacrifices right. But if he's not loving, he's missing. If he doesn't love God with all of his being, and he doesn't love his neighbor, he realizes he's missed it. Jesus says, in response to the scribes, he not answer, you're not far from the kingdom. He's close. He's close. But he's not in. Because just loving God and loving your neighbor doesn't get you into the kingdom. And that's where that scribe stopped, as far as we know He agreed, it's important to love God. With all of my being, it's important to love my neighbor. That's more important than following through on sacrifices, burnt offerings. But that's where he stopped. And Jesus says, you're not far. How does he get in? The man standing in front of him needs to be trusted. The scribe has to go that next step and say, he believes in who Jesus is. He has to trust in Jesus for his righteousness. Because just loving God and loving people isn't enough to get us into the kingdom. It requires a trust in Christ. So, now, here's, here's the thing. When it, when it comes to our behavior, God doesn't want our good behavior. He wants us, right? I mean, it, we can spend all day long polishing ourselves Making sure we we look good on the outside, but if our heart is far from God, you're wasting your time. I'm wasting my time. God doesn't want our good behavior. He wants us. And so, loving God and loving people they have to go together. I mean, you cannot separate the two. So, a person who is really good at loving God, but as John would say, hates his Christian brother or sister, or hates his neighbor. But what you've really got there is some kind of mystic. Some person who spends all of their time maybe in the ivory tower, they know their Bible well. They they know how to behave in church well. But they don't know the author of the Bible. They, They may love the scriptures. And they spend their time studying it and they know the scriptures in and out. But they don't love And in that case, it's not that they need to decrease their love for the Scriptures. It's that their love for Jesus needs to increase. Because it's possible to study our Bibles our entire life, become experts in what it says, and never to love the God of the Bible. And that would be an example of merely going from religious to Following after... Uh, religious yeah. behavior. We look good. Man, that guy knows his Bible. That, that, that lady, she's just, every morning, she's got a quiet time, more. I grew up watching my mom, and she would just spend time on, um, you know, journaling, and until and, and so you get this picture of that person, but you could do that your entire life. I never love God. But right. man, you sure sound good. You sure look good. But your problem, you're probably more just a mystic. Now, now, on the flip side of that, though, let's say you're really good at loving people. I mean, you've got a heart that just bleeds compassion. And so if you've got a need, man, you're there to meet that need. And, and, and you're, anywhere there's a need, you're, you're, social justice, that's your thing, right? You're just taking care of people. But you don't love God. Well, you're just a humanitarian. And we've got a lot of those. And they do good work. But in the eternal picture when it comes to entering the kingdom, when it comes to things that will last, they won't last. They will make an impact in their generation, maybe the next. But a humanitarian who loves people but does not love God really can't love people the way God loves them and the way He wants us to love them. You cannot separate the two. You must love God with all your being. And love your neighbor. And they have to go together, is what Jesus Those are the most important. And see, really, he would say later that on these two things, the, the rest of the law hangs. If you will spend your, your life cultivating a love for God with all of your being, and and let that flow into a love for people, you don't have to really worry about the other laws because they're going to fall into place. You're, you're going to love God, which means out of that will flow obedience, which is different then starting with obedience, hoping that it cultivates a love. That's my mistake. That's the deception that I have been drawn into for so many years. That if I just obey, then out of that will come a love. That obedience has to come first and then love. And you know, that's not very often the case. Especially if there's no love for God to start with. But if I start with a love for God, and I cultivate that love, and I grow that love, and I pursue the things that, that stir up that love, then out of that love will flow obedience. And that's the way it should be. But if I start with obedience, and I'm just white-knuckling my way through sin, and I'm just trying to hold tight to resist, I'm trying to resist lust, I'm trying to resist lying, I'm trying to resist you know greed, or whatever it is that gets a hold of me. I just white knuckle my way through that and hoping that if I just resist long enough that somehow out of that will come love won't, because I can't do anything that will make my heart love God it has to first, first start with God changing my heart to love Him and then from there the things that I allow in my life the things I pursue with my life They will either cultivate a love for God, or they will suppress that love for God. It's like what the Apostle Paul would say in his letter to the Colossians in chapter 3. He would say, set your mind on things that are above. Set your mind on things that are above where Christ is seated. Let your mind be filled with the things that are in line with Christ, rather than that are aligned with this world." And then after he said that, after Paul says, set your mind on things that are above, then he says, and then put to death the things of this world. But a lot of us start that backwards. We try to put to death the things in this world, but we've not first set our mind on things about it. it doesn't work. Well. Loving God and loving people. God doesn't want a good behavior. Christ's good behavior is all that matters. He wants you now. This is something I've struggled with because uh, you can really fall on two different sides of this, right? You can be someone who really, uh, you, you, you love God with part of your being. And, and when it comes to that, you know, a lot of us, especially me in the circle I've grown up with, and maybe you, our tendency is I'm going to love God really well if I'm not. How does that look? I'm going to know the Bible. I, I'm going to know it in and out. I'm going to spend my time studying it. I'm going to spend my time memorizing it. I- I- I'm going to be an expert, if you will, or or I'm just I'm going to be able to give an answer all the time. I'm just any chance I get. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be studying my Bible, and I'm loving it with my mind. But my perception, emotions. Are bad. I mean, emotions are deceiving. And so I can't let my love for God as I study my Bible really start to manifest itself in emotions because that's how you get led astray and then you just get caught up in, in just an emotional experience. That's my deception that I've fought into. That's how I've been trained, to be honest with you. That's the mentors, that uh, most of them that I've had in my life, what they've modeled. Emotions, bad. Belief, right. But you know what? Am I loving God? with all of my being if I am suppressing my emotions. No. Because we are made in God's image and as part of being made in God's image, God gave us emotions. And the emotions are good. They're, they're not bad in and of themselves. We are made and designed to Feel things. We are made and designed to be compassionate and feel compassion. We're made and designed to feel anger. We're made and designed to be jealous. And we're made and designed to feel all these things and they're good and they're right in their proper place. But because sin has had an impact on us and many of us, if we're not careful, will let ourselves be led by our emotions. What will happen is the sin impacting those emotions will lead us And so a lot of us have, instead of really trying to be messy in that and try to work through, why am I angry? You know, uh, is jealousy right in this kind of circumstance? Because you know what? God is jealous. But most of us only know jealousy outside of a covenant relationship. But man, when you get into a covenant relationship or marriage and someone is threatening to take your bride or your husband, you better be jealous you better be jealous for your brother, your husband. And I don't mean the type of jealousy you're used to feeling when you're back in high school and your girlfriend or boyfriend was floating with someone else. I'm talking about the type of jealousy that knows you're being threatened from being pulled away from my love and our covenant relationship, and I will fight for that. That's the kind of jealousy that God displays when He says, I'm a jealous God. Emotions are not bad in and of themselves, but we, because. Because I'm scared. That's my reason. I don't know what, what some of yours are. But I'm scared because I'm scared because I have been led astray by my emotions. And when I realized that I have been led astray by my emotions, I put up all kinds of walls. And so for years, I really pursued loving God with my mind. I mean, I really pursued. And then I even convinced myself that the right belief in Jesus is more important than, than, than me feeling something there. Because even when feelings wane, the belief stands. And that's that's true. Emotions, they do come and go. They do ride a roller coaster. And belief is is important. But see, what I've done, and maybe what some of you have done, is you've let that pendulum swing to the extreme, and so now you have no emotions in your worship for God. Because you're suppressing it. You have no excitement, or you start to feel it, and you push it back down. Because I don't want to be like that other person that I see, who seems to be controlled by their emotions. I don't want to look like those crazy charismatics, right? That's what we're scared of. I don't want to be carried away by the Spirit. That's my decision. Some of you maybe are on the other side though. Maybe when it comes to loving God, you're kind of more driven by your emotions, but you really don't have a good knowledge of the Bible. You don't really have a good knowledge of God. But man, when those songs play, You get caught up in it. Your emotions are just on your sleeve, and and you're ready to operate in them, and so they just flow, but you have no concept of the God you're worshiping. It's a nebulous idea, and these words, they sound good, and you're singing it to someone, or maybe you're just feeling good, and and so that's that's the struggle there. Maybe, yes, you're loving God with your emotions, but you have no clear concept of who God is, and so you're not loving God with all your being. You see, any time we separate them, and I, and I could go on and I could say, you know what? Maybe you, you love God with your mind and you love God with your emotions, but man, you don't love God with your body. I mean, anytime time we start to separate those and, and we excel in one or two, but not the others, we're not loving God with all of our being. We've got to do all of ourselves and our love for God. Whether that's allowing some of our emotions to be set free, and, 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 and as we sing songs or as we read the scriptures and we start to feel excited, let that bubble up. It, 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 as, we're, as we're loving God and, and we, we are interacting with people and we, we hear them say something that really kind of makes us angry because they said something that is an affront to God, we, we are okay to let that anger come up. And here's our challenge. We cannot perfectly operate in our emotions like Christ. But God has given us the Spirit. When you place your trust in Christ, the Spirit comes into our lives to help us to live out those things. It's Jesus says, you know, you've got to love God. And you've got to love people. And you put a limit on either one of those. You try to separate either one of those. And you'll miss it. One of the hardest things Jesus has given us to do. Love. I don't know about you. I'd rather, let's check, 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 check. That's what I'd rather. But what happens, because I still want to live that way, If even when my heart is not hold for God, or even when I go through a season where my worship of God is anemic, because I love Him with my mind, but I've suppressed my emotions for so long, that my worship is anemic, I'm still going to try to fake it. Because that's how I'm wired. That's how you're wired. Because we're more concerned about burnt offerings and sacrifices. We're more important about the things uh, we, we believe is more important the things that people see in our life. And we will spend time and energy and money working on the things that people see and neglect the things people can't all the while, if we will work on what people can't see, love for God, that flows into love for people, and we don't have to worry about the outside as much, because it'll fall in place. And so, as I kind of wrap this up, you know, that's a struggle that I'm, I'm sharing with you, that that's, that's how it looks in my life, that's how I wrestle with that. And so I want to suggest something to you, a prayer that I've been praying now for the last couple of weeks as I've kind of started to study this passage and realize, you know what, I am holding back some things. It, it can be a prayer like this, and I want to encourage you to be praying this prayer. Lord, help me by the power of your Spirit to love Jesus as you love Jesus. Father, help me by the power of your Spirit to love Jesus like you love or it might sound like this. Father, by the power of your spirit, stir up my affections for Christ. Stir them up. Like a like a, a you know, a pot of gumbo or a pot of soup, you know, that's just kind of sat there and all the spices and all the seasons just kind of sink to the bottom. to stir that puppy up. Get those spices flowing so that it gets all the way through. Lord, stir that up in me. So that that which has settled to the bottom will now make its way through every part of it. Because you know, all those other things that we spend our time on Bible knowledge is good. Quiet times are good. Spending extended time of prayer it's, it's good. Those things those things can be used to cultivate a love for God. But if you don't love God and you're still doing those things, burnt offerings and sacrifices. No love for God. People are not changed and people don't grow just by Bible knowledge. People grow and are changed as the Bible knowledge is applied to their lives. That's what love does, and love for people is all about. I you. so Father, would you stir up my affections? Father, would you help me to love Jesus as you love Jesus? Let that be our prayer. So God this morning, would you let your spirit uh, bring conviction to those who need conviction because God, there might be something this morning where they've never loved you but they've been deceived and thinking they love you Because they do things right, they do what, what the, uh, the person on the stage tells them to do or what tradition has told them to do but God, maybe their heart is false from you maybe they've separated out their life and so they, they, they've been deceived and thinking they love you, but parts of their being or not involved. So God, I pray that you would take those people who who this morning, maybe they've never loved you, and would you can hit them by your spirit. Show them that there's something lacking. That the things that they are pursuing will never satisfy, will never bring the healing, will never never take away the hurt, will, will never uh, ultimately earn anything before a righteous and a holy God. And then God, would you Reveal to them the the beauty of the gospel. That you sent Jesus to do the good behavior. In fact, it was one hundred percent on the money that Christ lived out of God. And then when he died for sinners and then rose from the dead, God, your standard, your expectation of, of righteous living has been met in Christ. And so you don't you don't want our good behavior that you want us. So God, I pray for those people this morning that you would draw them, open their eyes to understand this, the, the great love that you're revealing through your gospel. And lead them to trust in Christ. His good behavior. And then spark a flame, God, of love for you that flows into love for us. God, for many of us this morning, the challenge is all too different because that we we have deceived ourselves into thinking we love you as of our being. We've deceived ourselves, some of us, into thinking that, that we have a, a heart that's close to you, yet God, all the while, we're just pursuing religious compliance. And as Jesus is saying to us this morning, love is weightier than religious compliance. Show us those areas of your life, our lives, that the Spirit is doing up to us this morning, and then lead us to the places where we can change those things. And then, hey, um, right before we uh, wrap things up, as we've been doing the last um, couple of uh, services, I want to take a moment and uh, just pray about a minute or two and ask you to pray with me. And this week than the uh, tragedies that we've had throughout the week. You know, and there's been several beyond just the OSU uh, tragedy yesterday. We've we've got a lot of things going on in our community as well. So will you take a moment with me? I'm going to voice a prayer, and you pray with me. We're going to ask God to to be present and obvious in this life. So, God, uh, we know that you are never absent. There is no place any of us can go from your spirit. There's no height we can climb to, no depth we can speak to. There's no place of darkness. God, none of the happenings of this week are a surprise to you. They're not caught off guard, but they are tragic. And they hurt, and they bring pain, and they bring confusion. And so God, first and foremost, I pray that you will be present in the midst of that, all of it, and that it would be obvious that for those who are hurting as a result of, of loss, that you would be their comfort. God, even if they don't know you, comfort them. And for those who have questions and they're angry, God, I pray that you would be their peace. Even if they don't understand it. God, I pray for those families who are dealing with loss and who are trying to process what's happened in such a short turn of events. And I pray that you will let your spirit guide them. Bring the right people alongside them to encourage them. Not people who will speak foolishness, but people who will just be present. People who can show your love by just sitting with them, listening to them. And God, if that time comes up, and if that opportunity is right, for someone to be able to speak hope into that situation, would you give him wisdom to have to do it, to do it? we pray for justice. And ultimately, we know your justice will be handed out in Christ's return. Because sin has been judged with the cross. And it is your mercy that has you waiting until we come back so that more people can know the hope that you offer. God help us as we process. We pray for everyone involved, from those who've caused tragedies, to those who are victims. All of us need your grace. All of us need your mercy. We need you to hear. We pray Christ, amen. And if you're able, we please stand and we will uh, dismiss. If God wants you, He doesn't want you to perform for Him. He doesn't need you to perform for Him. Instead, give Him you and all of you. And do it in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. See you guys next week.